And I want to talk to you a bit about Easter. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Jesus rising from the dead. Because there were lots of people that saw Jesus and witnessed, just as you witnessed what happened there. But afterwards, came up with all sorts of different stories as to what actually happened. Because we find it difficult to believe that miracles really happen. Some of you will have found it difficult to believe that I'd smash an expensive piece of technology on the side. It's not what usually happens. So there must be a way around it. There must be a reason around it. So I just want to spend a few minutes looking at a few of the thoughts that people have had about the resurrection of Jesus, his body rising from the tomb. And to see what you think, because I think that one event will determine whether you can believe in Jesus and receive him and know him just like John knows him for the rest of your life or not. It's an important one to consider. So the idea is that I want to take you through the importance of the resurrection, the importance of it as a fact that it really happened, and the importance of it for you and I as well. Once we're certain about it, you see, we can take advantage of what the resurrection of Jesus actually did. So, you might be able to come to know Jesus personally, like John does, at the end of what I've got to say. I want you to be prepared for that. I want you to be sitting at the moment thinking, at the moment, do I know Jesus personally? Could I say I speak to him and he speaks to me? Do I have his help in every situation I came into? Or do I feel a little on the edge and I'm not quite sure if I'm a Christian or not? Well, today you can be certain. And at the end of what I've got to say, I'm going to invite you to come forward so we can pray for you and make you certain of your faith. Okay? I want you to be prepared so that it's not a shock when it comes. Okay? I'm letting you know now so that you can get yourself in the mind. Is this me? Do I need to respond to what God is saying? and to give my life to him. Now, there are lots of theories about what happened from the tomb of Jesus, but they all boil down to two things. Could we have the, um, the PowerPoint up? Is that okay? They really boil down to two things. The tomb of Jesus was either one of two things. It was either occupied or it wasn't occupied. Either there was a body there or there wasn't a body there. There, there aren't any in-betweens. Okay, so either the tomb of Jesus was occupied or it wasn't occupied. If it was occupied, there are a few different theories as to what happened. And if it was genuinely empty, there are also a few different theories as to what happened. Now, can we click through that presentation there? That, yeah, okay, that's great. Now, we're going to first of all look at the things that if Jesus' body was really there, if the tomb was occupied, then, 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 then surely he can't have been raised from the dead because the body was there. Now, that, again, I'm, go, I'm just going to run through a few quick theories, a bit like the smashing of the iPod. Different people thought different things. And this is what people have come up with to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. The first one is called the unknown tomb theory. And this is a theory that, that stands on the fact that, well, nobody really knew where Jesus was buried. You see, with crucifixion, many, many people thought that people that were crucified, like, if, if we're honest, many kinds of genocide or, or those kind of things, people were thrown into a common pit. So there might have been three or four or five people who were all crucified at the same time. Their bodies would have just been slung into a communal pit and buried. And so people have said that must have been what happened to Jesus. 
So nobody really knows where the tomb is. And many people have believed that. So that's why there was no body found. Because nobody really knew where the tomb was. In 1968, there was a breakthrough discovery made when there was a, a set of remains found of a man called Johann ben Halgalgal. And they were found in a family tomb outside Jerusalem. So a family burial tomb, not a common pit. Now the interesting thing about this man was that he was crucified. So it shows us that people that are crucified are not just thrown into a common pit. And that dispels this theory almost in one blow. Clearly, he wasn't thrown, Jesus wasn't thrown into a a common pit. And there are other weaknesses with this kind of theory as well. It ignores the clear stories in the Bible where we're told where Joseph of Arimathea's tomb was and Jesus was buried there. We're, we're told about the women who, who saw his body being prepared for burial in the traditional Jewish way and, and the Roman guards also clearly knew where the tomb was. So we can't rest on this as a secure historical theory. Even though it's true that some crucified people were thrown into common pits, that's not what we see with Jesus. It's clear that people knew where this tomb was. The second theory that relates to the tomb being occupied was, is called the wrong tomb theory. And this is similar, but, but this theory claims that when the women returned the following day, after Jesus had been crucified, they absent-mindedly went to the wrong tomb. Now, again, there is some truth in some of this. Many of these rock tombs carved out of, in, in caves were similar in appearance. Um, and, and, and this theory claims that when they arrived, they just simply went to the wrong, the wrong tomb. Uh, and, and the wrong tomb, at that tomb, the stone had been rolled away and, and, and there was a young man there who guesses what they've come for because he knows the events of the previous day. Um, but he says to them, he's not here. Uh, see where they laid him and then points to another tomb, perhaps. But the women... Um, this theory would maintain, were worried about being found out and their allegiance to Jesus, so they kind of ran off a bit scared at that point before checking the other tomb. Now, this may sound like a theory that holds water. If, if, if the tomb of Jesus was occupied, then maybe the one that was unoccupied with the stone rolled away, maybe it was a different tomb. But again, this theory ignores all the evidence. And when we read in the Bible about what the figure at the tomb said. He didn't just say, he's not here, see where they laid him. What he actually says is, he's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. And people that claim this theory to be true simply leave out that vital piece of evidence. They're important words that were spoken by the angel outside the tomb. There are other problems, obviously, with this theory. I mean, I don't know whether you or I could honestly forget where we've buried a loved one just 72 hours after the trauma of burying them. I don't think that would be the kind of thing that, as human beings, we are likely to do. And if this theory is true, not only did the women go to the wrong tomb, but then Peter and John also went to the wrong tomb. And the Jews went to the wrong tomb. And then the Romans went to the wrong tomb. And the guard would have gone to the wrong tomb. Even Joseph of Arimathea, who owned the tomb, would have gone to the wrong tomb. Even the blooming angel was at the wrong tomb. 
It's absurd, isn't it? It doesn't hold water at all. It's clear in the Bible that the people that went to the tomb were at the right tomb. Third theory is called legend theory. Now, there were many, many stories that came out after the life of Jesus. And the legend theory would maintain that um, it was some generations later that the resurrection stories were actually made up. Years after the life of Jesus. And then somehow imported into the Christian faith. Um, rubbish. Um, Really, Jesus himself talked about the resurrection. There were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, eyewitnesses that talked about the resurrection. When Paul wrote about it just a few decades later, there were still about 500 people that were still alive that had witnessed the risen Jesus. Now, all scholars really have said that this theory itself can never ever be substantiated. It can't be a legend if you're dealing with eyewitnesses. Okay, just simply, the two don't go together. Legends are made up by you know, people generations after. These are eyewitnesses of the account, so they simply can't be. It can't be a legend that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Two more occupied tomb theories. One, the spiritual resurrection theory. And this is the theory that Jesus, somehow his spirit rose from the dead but that his body just kind of decayed. Now, actually, it was Jesus himself that blew apart this theory. Uh, When he'd risen from the the dead and his disciples saw him, they actually thought he was just a spirit. They made that very same mistake. And Jesus actually told them off for making that mistake. And he said to them, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. And he got them to to touch him. And to poke him. He said, I've got flesh and bones, just like you. A bit later on, it talks about Jesus eating some fish. Now, if you're just a spirit, where's it going to go? The fish is just going to... It's all going to fall out all over the floor or something, isn't it? He clearly had a body. He had a mouth and a digestive system. Also, it says, when when the disciples saw him... uh, I think it's in Matthew's Gospel, that they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They took hold of his feet. Now, if he was just a spirit, it would have... You know, what are they going to do? There's nothing to grab hold of. Clearly, Jesus rose from the dead, not just as a spirit, but in his body as well. So the spiritual resurrection theory doesn't hold water at all. Now, my last occupied tomb theory... And this is perhaps the most popular one of the theories that try to explain away the resurrection, is the hallucination theory. And this is the theory that basically all the people who saw Christ in in bodily form after his death were somehow hallucinating. They only thought that they saw him. And if they all hallucinated, that would dismiss the resurrection really in one go. So were they hallucinating? Well, the word hallucination is an anglicised version of a Latin word, hallucination, which literally means a wandering of the mind or idle talk. But it did begin uh, in the 19th century to be used as a medical term, a psychological term. And so its modern definition of the word hallucination is this. The perception of an object or pattern of light which is not objectively present. So basically, seeing something that isn't there. 
That's what the definition of a hallucination is. Seeing something that isn't there. Now, there are some weaknesses with the hallucination theory. It's true to say that hallucination generally affects people who suffer with some degree of mental illness, most often paranoia or schizophrenia. And the New Testament accounts describe Jesus as appearing to all sorts of different people in different locations, different places, and different times. At one time, 500 people would all have had to have the same hallucination for this theory to be true. Hallucinations also are generally personal, not group events. They're usually linked to an individual's subconscious, to his or her past experiences. And it's highly, highly unlikely that two or more people would have the same hallucination. It would be unlikely that they would see the same thing. But in the, in the Bible, we see many, many people, hundreds of people, all seeing the same thing, and in some detail. Now, any psychologist would say that that cannot clinically be a hallucination, but a human response to something real something that they actually saw, something physical. Quite simply, an illusion doesn't sit down and eat fish with you. An illusion doesn't do that. An illusion, an illusion doesn't invite you to poke him. And for this many people to hallucinate the same thing at the same time is probably more miraculous than the resurrection itself. Yeah? It just doesn't hold water as a theory at all. It doesn't take into account the empty tomb and any of the other physical evidence. So these kind of occupied tomb theories, none of them, even the best of them, really hold any water. I want you to be acquainted with the facts so that you can make an informed decision. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, it has huge implications for every one of us. And I want you to be certain that you're not basing your decision of faith on some woolly experience that a Christian might have of a nice feeling, now I'm a Christian. No, these are facts that we can substantiate. Okay, let's have a look at the other side of the coin, where we've got the theories, if the tomb was empty, which it clearly was. Now there are three ones. Uh, really. And, and these all come from the premise that, okay, the tomb was empty, but there must be a rational explanation for this. There must be some way round it. This can't be a miracle. Now, it's clear from all the eyewitness accounts, okay, all the eyewitness accounts, it's clear that the tomb was empty. Historical fact, okay, historical fact, the tomb that Jesus was buried in was now empty. So how do people explain that without believing that a miracle happened? Well, okay, we understand that no one had the body. Okay, nobody actually had it. If anyone might have had it, it might have been the enemies of Jesus, actually, and the Roman security, who were the last ones to see Jesus before the resurrection. And actually, if the tomb wasn't empty, but there was a body there, any old Tom, Dick or Harry from Jerusalem could have gone down and disproved the resurrection straight away, couldn't they? Where's Jesus? There he is. Yeah, anybody could have disproved the resurrection. You know, the historian, Dr. Paul Mayer, said this, if all the evidence 
is weighed carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable, according to the canons of historical research, to conclude that the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, in which Jesus was buried, was actually empty on the first Easter. And no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources, epigraphy or archaeology that would disprove this statement. So the Christians knew that the body was missing. The Jews knew that the body was missing. So where was the body of Jesus? That's what it boils down to. And the first of the theories is that the disciples themselves stole it. They nicked the body of Jesus. And then they made up the resurrection stories to somehow advance the case of Jesus and advance the case of the early church. And this theory was actually recorded by Matthew, but he clearly thought it was so ridiculous that he didn't actually even bother to refute it in the Bible. There were already people that were saying this would happen. And and when we read in uh, in Matthew, we actually find out where this theory came from. Because the chief priests and the elders actually bribed a guard with a large sum of money to get them to start this rumour that the disciples had stolen the body. And they said to him, uh, basically, make up a story, will you? Here's some money. Make up a story about the disciples coming in the night and nicking Jesus while you're asleep. And, and so that's what happened. That's what happened. Apparently, while this guard was asleep, he maintained that the disciples came and stole the body. Now, I want you to imagine this guy who was supposed to be on guard, being cross-examined in court. Because there's a big problem with this. It's actually almost laughable when you think about it. If the guard was asleep, which he claimed to be, how on earth did he know that it was the disciples that stole the body? Yeah? He was asleep. You can imagine it, can't you? Please tell me, sir, on the night in question, where exactly were you? I was outside the tomb, sir. And uh, perhaps you could enlighten us as to what you were actually doing outside the tomb. I I was sleeping, sir. It had been a very busy day, what with all the crucifixions and stuff. You were sleeping. And what happened next? Please enlighten us. Well, the disciples turned up and stole Jesus' body. And you saw them. Yes. Is them all right? While you were sleeping, you saw them. And it was definitely them. Can you see how ridiculous it is? What a theory. What a theory. In reality, a sleeping guard was highly improbable. To be caught sleeping in that position would have been punishable by death. These actually weren't slightly dim-witted guards. These were crack Roman soldiers. So it was highly unlikely that this is what happened. Also, <laughs> you could add to the fact that the fact that the, the Roman guard must have been completely deaf, I think. Because if you think about it, 
If, if the disciples did come and steal the body, they've not only got to steal the body without him noticing or being woken up, they've also got to move a stone, which is somewhere between one and a half and two tons, uphill, away from the tomb. Now, a few weeks ago, we moved house, and a few weeks ago, I went down to Lewis. I bought a bath on eBay, a cast iron bath. What they didn't tell me on the advert was that it was in a basement flat. So me and a mate went down to Lewis, took a deep breath, and tried to lift this bath out of the basement and up a narrow flight of concrete stairs. Well, anyway, two hernias and a lot of huffing and puffing later. We did get it there. But it just came to mind when I was thinking of the, 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 the noise that it must make for a group of men to move a two-ton stone. The guard would have been awoken. Clearly, this theory doesn't hold water. And I guess you could add to this theory that the disciples stole the body. The fact that actually these men were known for their high moral standing. In fact, many historians put the spread of the early church down to the fact that these men had such integrity and high moral standing that the church grew. They were honourable men. To believe that they stole the body, you would have to maintain that these men who were clearly seen as honourable were actually liars and deceivers. And went against what their master taught and spent the rest of their lives proclaiming a lie. And even going to their death for what they knew was a lie. Now many people throughout Christian history have gone to their death for something they know to be true. But not many people will go to their death for something that they know is a lie. When they face death, they will simply say, yeah, we stole the body, it's okay. And they'd be let off. The second theory relating to the fact that the body was uh, gone was that the authorities stole the body, somehow for safekeeping, so that nobody could start whipping up any resurrection stories. Well, why, really? I mean, if the body was there, then the resurrection stories wouldn't come anyway. And if they took the body and the resurrection stories started bubbling away, they'd just say, well, here he is, and that would be the end of Christianity. That would be the end of the resurrection. So clearly, the authorities wouldn't have stolen the body. I mean, they could have done anything with it. If they'd stolen the body, they could have paraded it down the streets of Jerusalem as soon as everybody started banging on about resurrection. And Christianity would have been snuffed out at its inception. But that didn't happen. Why not? Because they didn't have the body. The disciples didn't have the body. The Romans didn't have the body. The Jews didn't have the body. The body was gone. It was gone. And nobody had a clue where it was. Now, there is another theory about the empty tomb. And that's the theory that Jesus didn't actually die. When he was on the cross, he didn't actually die. Somehow, after the torture in his soul in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we're told his stress was so profound that he sweated blood, There is a medical condition that can make you do that. I can't remember what it's called right now, but I read about it some time ago. But when you're under high levels of stress, something to do with the breakdown of capillaries, and actually your sweat can be tinged with blood. So he was under a high level of psychological stress, physically under a massive amount of stress from the torture, 
I mean, a Roman torture was painful. And many people didn't survive that aspect. To have your back lashed open, we're told, from the neck to the thighs, bowels exposed by a lashing. The heart would start to pump. And really, the crucifixion was just the end of it. At which point he probably died from suffocation. Having been nailed to the cross, his body would be hung down and he wouldn't be able to breathe unless he pushed himself up again. Took a deep breath, enough to pump the blood round for a short time longer, but eventually his body would give out. The Romans simply didn't take people down from the cross until they were dead. And if they weren't dying quick enough, they would take the base of their short spear and break their legs so that they couldn't push themselves up any longer and they would die quicker. They didn't actually do that with Jesus because they'd already proved that he was dead. Remember one of the Romans thrust a spear into his side and it says that out came a sudden flow of blood and water. Now for a pathologist, that's a sign of death. The fact that there's been, um, now what's it called? Uh, Arterial and pulmonary, some of the medics will tell me, I'm sure. When the water gathers around the lungs and around the heart, it means he's dead. So Jesus was clearly dead, but some people maintain that he just looked like he's dead. Some people even said that he was drugged to look like he was dead. And when that soldier passed up a sponge with some liquid on it, that was actually a drug to induce him into sleep so that he looked like he was dead, so that when he got into the tomb, he would feel the cool of the tomb and revive. Now this completely ignores the fact that his whole body was wrapped in burial clothes, that about somewhere between 75 and 100 pounds of spices and herbs were laid on top of him. So in his, the state he was in, he's not only got to get out of those without them looking like they've been disturbed and move a one and a half to two ton um, you know, rock from the front of the tomb, but then he's got to get out there and look good enough for people to believe he's been raised from the dead. I mean, if you saw Jesus in the state he was in when he was on the cross, you would not think he had a resurrection body. He would have looked like death warmed up. His whole body would have been ripped apart. He'd have had a hole in his side. He'd have had holes in his wrists and his ankles. Clearly, what the disciples and the others saw was a resurrection. They saw a risen Christ. You see, all these theories ignore the miracle. You know, they say, well, miracles just don't happen. But only one conclusion really takes into account all the facts and doesn't try to manipulate them to fit our ideas. And the conclusion has to be this, that Christ is, in fact, raised from the dead. That it was a supernatural breakthrough that he was now alive. And the truth is that if that happens, that means that Jesus not only was alive then, but Jesus is alive now. Right here in this room with us, we can know that Jesus himself is alive. And that agrees with what the Bible says, and it agrees with the experiences of Christians for 2,000 years. Jesus is alive. Now. Here, amongst us, walking amongst us. Now you have to come to your own conclusion about how you deal with this profound fact. But the evidence is clear. And this one death and this resurrection 
has done something that nothing else in the whole of history could ever do. It has made a way for people like you and I to know God. You see, the whole point of Jesus' resurrection was that he was completing a work that was begun way back in deep history, many, many hundreds of years before, perhaps even in thousands, millennia before, when Jesus and God got together and made a promise that Jesus would one day have a people of his own. Now, God knew the way mankind had gone. Like all of us, gone away from God. Every single one of us has gone away from God, ignored him, gone our own way, been independent, done our own thing. I did it my way. And we've tried to wipe God out of our lives completely. Do you know 83% of people in the UK think that our morality is going downhill? That's not Christians. 83% of people who were polled this week think our morality is going downhill. It's because we've cut God out of our lives. We've cut God out. But this resurrection completely changed that. Because Jesus came to restore us. Health, yes, that's one aspect of it. But life was the big aspect. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now, if you're sat here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you've only got a bit of life, okay? And I say that with all the love in the world. I spent 23 years not knowing God. I had a bit of life. I had some fun. I had some friends. I had some good times. But I didn't know what I was here for. You see, Jesus broke through death, came back to life, so that my life, which was actually dying and would have ended in physical death, could be completely turned around. And instead of walking away from God, when I said to God, I am sorry that I've lived apart from you. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please change me. Please be with me. I believe you. I believe in you. I believe in your death. I believe you rose again. I've heard the facts. I believe it. And at that moment, God turned my life completely around. Instead of walking away from God, I was walking towards God. And I can tell you this morning that if you do that, If you say to God, I am sorry that I've tried to do it my own way. Please forgive me. I believe in this stuff. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. And I believe you've got a better future for me. Please come in to my life and lead me. And take me forward from this place with faith in you. If you ask God to do that, do you know what he says? I've just been waiting for you to say that. Of course, I'd love to. And he will grab hold of your life and he will lead you into the adventure that you were born for. The adventure that you were made for. I'm going to stop there. I'm just going to ask you to stand with me.